Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. What's up, Redemption Church? How y'all doing? Man, I am excited to be here today with all of you. Man, uh, let me just start off by saying um, hello. My name is Ethan. I am the small group director here at Redemption Church, if you didn't know me. And uh, generally, I work behind the scenes to help set up our small groups and set up things like our summer sessions. Hey, by show of hands, let me see how many people were in summer sessions. We got a couple in here? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Hey, I've heard some really, really amazing stories that have come out of summer sessions. And, and the whole idea behind summer sessions is this, that we're taking a deeper dive into certain aspects of the Christian life. And so we see that with uh, our summer sessions, like we had our financial essentials with James Guest. We had, we had pillars of emotional health with Shelby Guest. That's a power couple. And then we also have, well, you guys are dead. The 9 a.m. was like height. So we have, uh, we had, what did we have? We had membership with Pastor Byron Ellis, and then we also had our freedom ministries with, I guess everybody came, all the freedom people came to the 11 a.m. Okay, I see y'all. I see y'all. Well, um, we are ending our summer sessions, which means we're in a new season, and that new season is going to be our small groups. So at the end of this month, we're going to be launching our small groups, and Pastor Byron and I talked, and he thought it would be a good idea if um, while we're launching small groups that I go ahead and preach a sermon series over small groups so that we as a congregation can understand how important small groups really are to the Christian life. And so me being the experienced biblical scholar that I am, you know, if there's like theologians who like really study the Bible and they get the title of a theologian, like, like, uh, give me somebody who we got. Kuiper. We love Kuiper. We also have a Kuiper in the bag, but she's two years old. It's a different Kuiper. And then we also have Spurgeon. So like if they're right here, you know, like I'm like really working my way up, you know, I'm like right there behind them. And being the esteemed biblical scholar that I am, I did what anyone would do in my situation where I am uh, preaching a sermon over small groups and I Googled the top 25 sermons over small groups, (laughs) the top 25 verses over small groups. And I didn't really do that. But if I did, let's just take a look and see what Google has to say about it. Uh, Let's see. The first verse that came up was Hebrews 10, 24. It says this, and let us consider how to stir one another up with love and good works, not neglecting to meet together because we neglect to meet together, as is the habits of some. Let us consider how to stir up one another in good works. Oh, how sweet is that? We're just going to come together and we're going to encourage each other. Well, here's uh, the way that I see it. If you've been in ministry for any amount of time or if you work with people for any amount of time, you know that people are actually really difficult. And some people, no one in this room, but some people are really hard to love, right? And so whenever I see stir up in one another, I'm like, oh, you stir me up, boy. I need to go to the Lord and figure out how to learn how to love better. So that's one verse. Let's see what else we got. We got Romans 12, 16. Oh, okay. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So live in harmony with one another. And basically, don't think yourself too highly to 
to be able to hang out with other people just because they're different from you. Don't be conceited. I feel like that's fair. I mean, why does Paul say live in harmony? Are y'all catching echo or is that just me? It is echoing? Can we get that fixed? Do I need to switch mics? It's fine? Okay. All right. Totally beside the point. Definitely not ADHD. No, like none of that. So live in harmony. Like that's so sweet. And I feel like Paul says it because guess what? It's actually really hard for us to live in harmony. And so we need to be told over and over again, like, hey, it's important that we live in harmony. That's two great things. Thank you, Google. I appreciate you so much. That reminds me of uh, uh, whenever me and Trevor Knox, our campus director, were speaking. Um, we were just having a conversation one night, and we were talking about how much we love all of you people at Redemption Church. We were talking about how not difficult anybody at Redemption Church is at all. And we were having this conversation, and, and Trevor reminded me, and he loves to remind me every single week since then, that I said something from the depths of my soul that I didn't know it was there. It, it just like came out. And I want to share that with you today. And this is what I said. I said, being at Redemption Church with all of you beautiful people has given me the experience with people that I never asked for. You guys are crazy. And I'm in there with you. I'm also crazy. But it's an experience I didn't know that I needed. And so we're going to kind of flesh that out today with this whole idea of like, this is a strange group of people in this room right now. This is a strange group of people together. And it's like, okay, this is, yeah, our peculiar. I'm sure a couple of you guys are peculiar. It's just an odd group of people, right? There's all different people from different life stages and lifestyles and, and different socioeconomical um, statuses. And, and you look different. You know, like there's just a bunch of different types of people in here together. I mean, Matt Chandler says it like this. He says, you don't come to church to hang out with weird people and learn how to be nice. But that's what everyone thinks church actually is. I mean, it's a kind of that. But there's no other setting or group of people where you'll see this group of people together, especially in small groups. That's where it just intensifies because you have 8 to 12 people hanging out in one person's home. You guys eat together. You pray together. You go over the word together. You talk about each other's lives. And what you'll find out is, is that there's actually some like very strange people at your church, which is totally fine because you're probably one of them. And it's just that they're different from you, you know, like, like they're just, I don't know, they're just strange people. Like, I just think about weird Carl, you know, that I had in my small group. He's not a real person. Weird Carl. And it's like, why is Carl so weird? And well, I would say because he, uh, he shows up too early and he stays too late. He doesn't have any idea of uh, physical boundaries. So he, he's like in your face and then he forgets to brush his teeth. Carl's weird. And then he brings a duck to small group. Like, what in the world is up with weird Carl and his duck? He's going to come up again. We'll see. But with all of that being said, here's the deal is that, is that this is a strange group of people. Why are we together? Well, a simple answer would be this, that we're together because we know that we have brokenness inside of us, and we know that we want to seek out whole, uh, healing and wholeness, and that there's one person who can do that, and that's Jesus. And that's why we're here today is to kind of talk about this. And what I want people to see today is that, is that we need community. You have a desire for community in your heart. It's in your blood. We were created for community. And that's the name of the sermon today, that we are created for community. It's going to be one of a three-part sermon series where 
Uh, we're going to talk about how you were made for this. And so my hope over this sermon series this month is, is that you understand that you were made for this. And so often we pull away from community, but we were created for it. And so I want to talk about that today. I want to I get this one concept that we are made for this. And so what I want to do is show you today that God values community and that we need community and that God has given us an answer through the church for that need for community. And so we'll start off with this. We're going to start off at the very beginning, actually before the beginning. We're going to talk about God himself. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. My first point is that we see community in the creator. I mean, did you know that? Did you know our creator is a perfect community within himself? It might be something that you've never really paid too much attention to, especially if you're new to the church, but it's all around you. It's in everything that we do, whether we're doing communion or we're baptizing people or at the end whenever we say, hey, we're, uh, we're going um, to bless you guys on your way out. Go ahead and raise your hands to receive. And then we talk about the Great Commission. But you hear this a lot, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's this idea that, that we serve a God who's three in one. And it's a, not a simple idea, but it is a basic belief for Christians. It's this idea that, that there is a trinity in the nature of God. And so, like I said, it's a basic belief for Christians, but it's not basic in the sense of it's simple. It's just basic in the sense of if you're a Christian, you believe in the trinity and in the nature of God as we see it in the Bible. It's in the Bible that God is a perfect community within himself. And so what I want to do is uh, just kind of work through this a little bit. So pay attention real close to what I'm about to say. I'm going to throw up a slide for you. We believe in the Trinity, tri-unity. That's three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These are three distinct persons in one God. God is perfect in his community within himself. And hey, I totally understand that this might be confusing and this is like a weird concept, but it, I think it's supposed to be. And so what I want to do is share with you the first time that I realized that the Trinity was a reality in the Bible, in the nature of God. And so if you would throw up that scripture for me, uh, Genesis 1:26. I've been in church my whole life and I've heard Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but it, I remember this one time reading through the scripture for myself and it really dawned on me, oh my gosh, the Trinity this is crazy. So here it is. Let's read it together. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the livestock and the rest of the earth and blah, 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 blah. Did y'all catch what it said? Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Who is God talking to? It's just him in the beginning. I saw this, and it just totally blew my mind that, they have, that there are scriptures in here like this. And, and I thought I had read it over and over again. I never noticed. It was us, our, our. Okay, that's fine if you say so. And I also see scriptures where, like Deuteronomy 6.4 that say, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And there's plenty of scriptures where it talks about, how, hey, there's only one God. There's only one God. But then we see these three persons within this one God. 
And so for us, you know, two plus two equals four. And in this case, in the Bible, one plus one plus one equals three, but it also equals one. Like this is a strange concept. It's all three eternally distinct from each other, but share one in their nature. And in some sense, honestly, this defies human logic. And I think that's beautiful because it really validates that there's a separation between the creator and his creation, right? Like, so like the best example I could come up with would be this, that someone who has been blind since birth cannot understand and grasp vision the same way that someone who can see does, or someone who is uh, born deaf can't understand hearing the way that someone who can hear understands hearing. And so in the same way, we have this where we're like, I get it, kind of, just kind of. And I don't think we're supposed to fully understand it until we get to heaven. And I'm totally cool with that because he's God and I'm not. So this can be really confusing, but what I want to do is I want to pull out one truth in this. And, and let me tell you this. I want to encourage you to look this out in the Bible yourself, uh, study it out for yourself. There are thousands of books written by people way smarter than me that are just trying their very hardest to grasp what it means to, to serve a Trinitarian God who is all-powerful. But what I want us to do today is to not get stuck up on it. What I want us to do is to pull out this one truth that if we serve a Trinitarian God, it means that the Creator is a perfect community within himself. And if two plus two equals four, and God made us in God's image and in God's likeness, and he's a perfect community within himself, then we must have been created for community. That there's a need for community in us. And you could definitely find that on Google, but it's, it's in your Bible as well. And that's all you need. There is community in our creator, which means that community must carry some high value for the creation. And that's what I want to talk about with the second point right here, if you're taking notes, that we see community in the creation. We are all creatures of relational needs, and we're designed by a relational God. We're all at least somewhat familiar with the creation story in the Bible where God creates the the heavens and the earth and the oceans and the land and the animals, and then he creates Adam. And so I want to pull something out of Genesis 2 and 3 this morning just so we can kind of take all of this in together that we were actually created for a community. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says this, then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then God proceeds to put Adam to sleep and and pulls a rib from him and creates Eve. And then in verse 23, it says this, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. Now, there's two things that I want to point out in this creation story. It's very condensed, but it's the two things that I want us to pull out. And it's this, that we see that God, that God looks at Adam, and he sees that there's a relational need inside of Adam. That's why he says it's not good for man to be alone. But then on the flip side of the coin, we have Adam, 
And we see that based off of his response, whenever he wakes up and sees Eve, that he had a relational need inside of him that he didn't even know he needed met. He says, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Girl, you look good. God, I didn't even know I had this need inside of me, but thank you. This is, this mo- this is the first moment that we see from two different sides that man has a, a need to be known by his own kind. God is a relational God, and we are relational creatures. He created us with needs that can only be met through relationship. And just like you have a physical body, therefore you have physical needs, you also have emotions, and those are emotional needs. And a lot of times emotional needs show up in relationships. And this is what we would call relational needs. We were created for community. I mean, if you like look at the word community, it says common unity. That it's a community of people with a common purpose and goal. And so after the creation story, we see the story of the fall of man into sin in Genesis 3. And so I want to take a look at that. And we'll start by looking at Genesis 2.16 real quick to just kind of set it up for you. It says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then we see later in Genesis 3 that Satan comes to Eve in the form of a serpent, in the garden, and he deceives Eve into believing that God wasn't telling the entire truth about this tree and its fruit. Satan and Eve begin to have a dialogue, and Satan questions God in front of Eve, and he says things like, he didn't say that, did he? Or, no, 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 you won't die. Or, God just doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. And that's what Satan does. He takes the truth and he distorts it. He said, you won't die. Well, that's a lie. Because that day, whenever they sinned against God, they had a spiritual death. And then later on, they had an eventual physical death which we've all come to know and hate. And then he says things like, God just doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. Well, that's true, but it's only half true. Because underneath saying that he he had an unspoken lie that God doesn't have your best interest in mind. And so we wrestle with this every day, believer and non-believer. We wrestle with this unbelief that says, maybe God doesn't have my best interest in mind. We're still dealing with this now since the creation of time and the creation of man. And God actually did not want Eve and Adam to be like him, knowing good and evil. But it wasn't because of some like power thing where he wanted to be the one who was God. That's not it at all. God knew that if they knew evil, 
their innocence would be stripped away from them. And that's how sin works. It separates. And when you sin against God, others, or yourself, you're actually stripping away innocence. And God knew that that was going to be the case. And, and what I want us to do is look at the consequences of Adam and Eve eating the fruit. So verse 7 says this. This is important. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Nakedness is a representation of shame. And before this moment, whenever they sinned against God and they rebelled, they didn't know they were naked. They had not experienced shame. But it's in the nature of sin itself. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So they tried to cover up their shame. So they sinned. They felt shame, and they tried to cover it up. And then we see in verse 8, it says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man and said, Where are you? Now, this is a rhetorical question from God because he knew where Adam was. But what that shows Adam and that shows us is that God actually pursues after us after we've sinned and we feel the shame that he thinks we're worth chasing after. And then Adam says this. This is so important. In verse 10, he says, And he said, I hear the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself because I was ashamed, and I covered myself from you. And then in verse 11, it says, He, meaning God, said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked, Adam? Who told you to be ashamed, Adam? Who stripped away your innocence, Adam? This is the inner thoughts that we have within ourselves. Who told you to be ashamed? Well, it was Satan. He takes our shame. And he makes it for his glory and not God's glory. And it kills us in the process. Satan tempts us with sin. And then whenever we sin, we feel shame. And then whenever we feel shame, we cover it up. But whenever you cover it up, you cannot receive the healing and wholeness that Jesus has for you. But that's what we do. We try to cover it up because we don't want people to see who we really are. They don't, we don't want people to see our, our faults and our flaws. We were created for community. It's in our original design. And I, I just want you to know today that I tried to take this part out of my sermon, but I, I felt the Lord, for, just for time's sake, but I felt the Lord was really putting it on my heart to put it in here. And I, and I think you need to know that you have an enemy who doesn't want to see you in a community of believers because he knows that you will experience life change through Jesus. See, there are two main reasons that I see, just from over time, um, that I see working with people, why they don't get plugged into a small group, why they don't sign up for a small group, or why they don't stay in a small group. There's two reasons. One would be that they don't actually understand how important community actually is to their well-being. And so what they do is they prioritize other things that really don't matter as much and are not 
in your best interest and your best health interest, spiritually, physically, and emotionally, over small groups, over being in a community of believers. And then the second thing is this, is that people let their shame speak louder than the word of God over their life. And they're too afraid to be seen and known by someone else because maybe you have sin in your life that you haven't dealt with and you're afraid for other people to see it because if they see it, well, number one, well, if, if, if you get too close to them, if you allow them in, then maybe they'll see it and they won't love you or you'll be found out. You know, maybe it's just that you don't want to be vulnerable because it's scary to be vulnerable. It takes, it takes a risk to be vulnerable. But what you're missing out on whenever you pull away and cover yourself is you're, you're missing out on the wholeness that Jesus has for you. And then you'll actually experience compassion from people. I said this in first service that, that there's a girl that was in my small group that I, I remember she shared with us that something had happened to her, that someone sinned against her and hurt her. She let her shame up till that point tell her that she was ugly and not worth it because someone else sinned against her. But what she experienced whenever she actually let it out of her mouth in a community of people in a small group, she realized that she is worth being loved. She only experienced compassion from us because you can't help it. You can't help it but inside. If you know Jesus, the love of Jesus pours out on people who are vulnerable and choose to take that risk. You know, God says it's not good for man to be alone. So it's not good to isolate ourselves. And we know that, but then we choose to do it anyway. So, like, let's just look at some examples of isolation. Like, a, one would be solitary confinement in prison. It's like one of the greatest legal punishments that we have. Why? Because you were created for community. There are all kinds of studies and things where, where they show that people who spend time, prisoners who spend time in uh, solitary confinement, like it tears them apart mentally. It tears them apart physically. Their organs start shutting down. They start losing their mind. They have migraines. All of these things begin to happen. Why? Because we were created for community. Hey, all my introverts, I love you. Stop over-isolating yourself. I'm with you. I'm one of them. I just like talking to people, but then I have to retreat, right? And it's good to like, oh, okay, recharge. But let that be enough. Stop over-isolating yourself. Did I just compare the introverts in our church to an extreme prison behavior type person? Absolutely not. I'm just saying whenever I pray in church, I keep my eyes wide open so I can see you. It's not good for you to be isolated. I mean, let's take COVID, for instance, right? That's one that, all, that hits us all close to home. COVID quarantine. Quarantine by yourself. Isolation. Our community, our sense of community was ripped away from us. And then what happened? Like for the general population, well, your mental health started deteriorating. Your, your physical health started deteriorating. You know, you got back into the addiction that you've been, that you've been free from for so long or or. There, I, there are all kinds of stats of um, just abuse in, in the home, right? Or people experiencing addiction. I mean, like Texas, we shot the, the liquor uh, sales through the roof whenever COVID hit. 
right? And I'm not saying it's terrible to have a drink every now and then, but what I am saying is isolation causes people to fall back into their, their worst selves. That's why small groups are so important. You have a community of people that are literally built on growing closer to God together. And so you have the people around you, and then you have God that we're looking towards. And see, that was the problem with Adam and Eve. In this moment, whenever they fell into sin, they were not walking with God. They were walking together, but they weren't walking with God. But with small groups, we're walking together with God. Why do we do that? Well, that's where Jesus comes into the picture. Jesus came as a human to show us how to live in community the way it was intended, together with God and with God in mind and always pursuing after God. One of the reasons that Jesus came as a human was to show us that we really do have human needs. He subjected himself to also having human needs. But then he took that and he showed us what it looks like to be in community with his 12 disciples. So in his three years of ministry, he gathered the 12 disciples because Jesus was committed to the community. He was committed to community in itself. He gathers the 12 disciples over his three years of ministry, and they, they live life together. They just do their day in and day out. It's nothing pretty. It's all messy. It's just day in and day out, but they're doing life together, going through the highs and the lows. And we see um, through the book of Mark, which we just finished up a series through the book of Mark, and we see that the disciples just continue to make stupid mistake after stupid mistake after stupid mistake. But Jesus shows what it looks like for us to move forward together through all of our mistakes. And Jesus worked through the, the relational struggles, which shows us that we do have relational needs and they're worth fighting for. Yeah, that's Jesus was committed to the community. And so I want us as a church to also be committed to community the way that Jesus was. He was committed to his small group of his 12 disciples. And so I want to encourage you that, that through this sermon series, that you would find it in your heart to be committed to small groups. Because if Jesus did it, it must be important. We also see that community creates culture. See, Jesus created a community among these 12 disciples. And like I said, it wasn't pretty and it wasn't perfect. But what God was doing, what Jesus was doing, was he was creating culture in their hearts. He was creating culture in their hearts. He was changing the way that they think and the way that they do. And we see this time and time again through the book of Acts, whenever the Holy Spirit comes, that the Spirit of God fell on the disciples and then they took what Jesus taught them and, and moved it out. What was Jesus doing for those three years that he was with the disciples? What was he doing? Well, he was, he was cultivating and, creating, uh, and uh, correcting and creating culture within the hearts of those men. And now those disciples, after Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection and the Holy Spirit fell on them, they took that culture that Jesus did inside of them and they took it to the cities around them. And so what I see in this is that community creates culture because how did, what was the tool that Jesus used to create culture inside of these men? It was community. It was them just being together. It wasn't a classroom. It wasn't like a discipleship class. 
which those are all good and fine. And maybe you've experienced those growing up in church where you're like, okay, we're going to go to class for discipleship. No, it was a community. And that's why small groups are so important by living in community with those who are also sharing the gospel and trying to learn what it looks like to live with Jesus. And Jesus is wanting to create culture in your heart as well. And so we want to be here as the church to partner with what Jesus is doing. And so we give you small groups to use as a tool the same way that Jesus used small groups to create culture in his disciples. And then the disciples turned around and created culture in cities. We want to do the exact same thing. We want to change Beaumont. How do we do it? By changing your heart. And the tool that we use are small groups. It's important to be in a community because we were created for a community. And that brings me into my third point. That community is found in the church. I want us to think on the book of Acts. I had a whole segment in here, but just for time's sake, I was going to summarize it for you guys. But just thinking about the book of Acts with the New Testament church, after Jesus was resurrected and ascended into heaven, we can see in the book of Acts how small groups played an intimate role in actually growing the church and, and making the people of the church healthy. But what I want to do first is kind of like set this up for you. Um, and I'll start by saying that, let me ask you a question. Who all here has been in church before? Like you've been in a church, you've been a part of a church. Okay, so most of you guys. So here's the deal, is that most churches are not perfect. And by most, I mean every single church is not perfect, right? We know this. We know this. If you've been in church for any extended amount of time, you know that church is not perfect. Why is church not perfect? Well, it's because the church is made up of people. And people are not perfect. And that's why you're here. Thank you so much for coming to hang out with us at Redemption Church. You're going to fit right in. It's going to be a lot of fun. So there are issues with the church that need to be corrected. And we actually see this in the New Testament. I don't know if you guys know this or not. But a lot of the New Testament is based off of letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches that he helped plant afterwards, after he had left them. And he wrote letters to them. And a lot of those letters were actually just correcting the church because he was hearing all kinds of crazy stuff. And so what I want to do is share one with you just so you know I'm not lying, that churches are not perfect if you just already don't believe that. Um, go ahead and throw up 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 2. Is that up there? That's a terrible alarm. <laughs> so what I did is I took the amplified version. Usually we use Eng uh, English standard language, but Wow. <laughs> <laughs> whoop, whoop. Um, I took the Amplified version specifically because I really like the tone of this because I feel like it really shows through words uh, how salty Paul was about hearing about this in his church that he helped plant. So we're going to read this together and then we're, we'll go from there. It says this, it is actually reported everywhere that there is sexual immorality among you a kind of immorality that is condemned even among the unbelieving Gentiles, even, uh, even among the pagans, and that someone has an intimate relationship with his father's wife, and you are proud and arrogant, and you should have mourned in shame so that that man who has done this disgraceful thing would be removed from your fellowship. Do you, do you know what he's saying right there? He's saying that, a, that someone who calls himself a member of this church in the city of Corinth is sleeping with his stepmom. 
<laughs> what? Okay. And then he's so brave and, and proud that he is sharing this with other people in the church. That's why it says, it's reported everywhere. Everywhere. Can you imagine what it was like the first time that Paul was told about this moment, about his church that he helped plant while he's working on planting another church? And then on top of that, can you imagine what it was like for the person who had to tell Paul? <laughs> like, in my mind, it just, it just like plays out like, St. Paul, how you doing? Good. Yeah, I'm doing good. Um, I'm from down the road, the city of Corinth. Yeah, um, I come with a message. <laughs> oh, yeah, what's up, man? I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much. St. Paul, glad to see you. What you got for me? What you got for me? Who? Oh, you're from the, oh, you're, you're from the city of Corinth. My Corinthians. I helped plant that church. I helped plant that church. I helped plant that church. Yeah, they're doing pretty good, huh? Good teaching. Good teaching. I know because I did it. That's good teaching. Yeah. Yeah, Apostle Paul, that was, it was good teaching. I actually got saved right before you left. Um, but since then, some things have been happening that you need to know about. Yeah, of course I want to hear, hey, I helped plant that church. I love my Corinthians. I know they're doing good. Good teaching gets you far. Tell me about it. What's up? What's up? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh? 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 What you mean? They did what? With who? I taught them better. <clears throat> Come on, Apostle Paul. Hey, hey, man, I appreciate you coming. Appreciate you. You doing your job. You know, sending the message. You're the messenger. Appreciate it. Hey, can you give me just one second? Just give me one second. Okay. All right. I'll be right back. All right. All right. Dear Jesus, <laughs> did you hear? Oh, you did hear? Oh, yeah. That's right. Forgot. <laughs> You're with us all the time. Yeah. Did you know about this? You did know about this. Okay. I didn't know about this. I taught them better. Oh, you were there, you know? Okay. Yeah. Well. A heads up would have been nice. What do I do about this? What do I do? I don't know what to do. <laughs> write a letter. That's a good idea, Jesus. I'm going to write a letter. That's what I'm going to do. St. So. <laughs> Paul, I'm going to write a letter. That's what I'm going to do. So then I picture that Paul writes this letter up, and he folds it up. Oh, Lord. He hands it off to somebody. Here, take this. Send the pigeons. I'm sure they didn't use pigeons back then in that time period, but in my head they do. If they didn't use, if they didn't use pigeons, they probably used Weird Carl's duck. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Here, look, listen, my, my whole point in this is that churches are not perfect. We see it in the Bible and we see it today. If, if you go to any church and that's because people are not perfect. And, and what I want to do is I want to share with you some mistakes that we've made at Redemption Church specifically with small groups. I want to be transparent with you because I want you to know that we've seen it and we're correcting it and we're moving forward together and that we're really taking off now. But 
Let me ask you this. Did you know who was the small group director at Redemption Church in 2016, 17, and 18? It wasn't even Pastor Byron. We just didn't have one. There was no position for it. I mean, he handed it over to me one time and was like, hey, can you do something with this? I don't have enough resources. Because we were like in a bar at the time, and there, we had like 60 people. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. I was still pretty new to like being a leader in the church. I had never actually led anything before. I needed some experience. So like we didn't even have a small group director. We didn't have someone over small groups to, to help create and cultivate that culture within our church in the small groups. Another thing that we did is, is honestly, we had people in small group leadership positions that like just didn't need to be there. They just didn't need to be there. And, and you know, like it makes me think, I wasn't over small groups, but I remember talking to a small group leader in particular, and I remember that there were, uh, the reason I talked to him was because I heard like so many terrible things. Um, about this small group. And I heard so many complaints. I'm like, what is going on over here? So I just like go up to him. I'm like, hey, man, um, how's small group been? He's like, oh, it's good, dude. We're having a great time. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) What do y'all do in there? Oh, we fight, bro. That's what we do. We argue. We just test our faith, dude. I went to Bible college. We just argue it out. That's what we do all day, every day. I make sure that there's always an argument. I'm like, why are you so angry? You're so aggressive. I just want you guys to eat together and pray together and love on each other, read the scriptures together. You can, you can disagree, but why are you arguing? Because that's what we do, bro. We fight. If someone brings a casserole and they were supposed to bring something else, I'm like, you don't ain't got no rice. I'm like, what are you talking about? Are you a real human being? We had these people that should have never been small group leaders in positions that they should not have been in. And so we took note of that. <laughs> and then one other thing I would say with this is that, is that um, I feel bad for our small group. Hey, if, if you're in here, you don't have to raise your hand. But if you're in here and you were a small group leader in the past couple of years, like, sorry. Um, because... I really feel bad for you because we just kind of like, we're like, oh, okay, you want to leave a small group? Go ahead. We'll see you later. Catch you at the end of the semester. And then, you know, your hair would be on fire by the end of the semester. We'd be like, what happened? Because it was, it was basically the equivalent of if we like dropped them out in the ocean off of a helicopter, like it was fear factor. And then like, you see Joe Rogan as the helicopter is coming back around. Good luck. Here's Carl's duck. It floats. And then we're just like hoping for the best. We used to do things like that, and it was ridiculous. <laughs> Almost ridiculous as these stories. Um, but I want you to know that we as a church took that on the chin, and we learn from it, and we grow from it, and we correct those things. And so I'm actually really excited about what's happening at Redemption Church because we know that small groups are important. Why? Because we were created for community, and we see it in the book of Acts with the first church that was centered around Jesus, that they used small groups. So, <clears throat> so what we see is that Jesus actually, <laughs> well, Jesus was in all of it, but I just used the wrong name. So what the disciples did from there is from, from the spot where uh, the Holy Spirit fell on, there, there we go, I lost it for a second in the story. Um, where the Holy Spirit fell on them and they began to tell people about Jesus. That little group of people started at about 120 people. And then the Holy Spirit fell on them and, and Peter preached a message and the church grew from 
120 people to 3,000 people in one day. And then it exponentially grew from there. And it's estimated that the church in that one city with that first church ended up growing to 100,000 people in a 200,000-person city. That's like half the people. It was freaking out everybody in the city. And you can find this in Acts yourself. It's in between Acts 1 and 5. But my question is, if there were so many people, like, where did they put all of these people? Because it's not very helpful for you to just come on a Sunday morning and bounce, and you got, like, your 30-minute, your 45-minute message, and you had a little worship session, and, hey, and then you're just shaking people's hands, see you later. Like, there's no life change through Jesus in that alone. So it's like, where did they put all these people, and then how did they maintain the health of these people and help these people grow in their discipleship with Jesus? And so I want to look at Acts chapter 5, verse 42. This is after the church has already grown. It, it tells you exactly where they put these people. It says, and every day in the temple, or a more accurate version would say the temple courts, because there were a couple different temple courts, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and praying that the Christ is Jesus. So in the temple courts, they're, they're huge. They're still there in Jerusalem. They're huge. You could fit like 50,000 people standing. And then they had several different courts that they met up at. So that would be like the equivalent of us meeting right now on a Sunday morning, right? We're not 50,000 people, but we're a couple. And it's like having a large, um, a large group worship experience. That's what a Sunday morning is like. But it says right here that they also met house to house. House to house would be our version of small groups. So they had their Sunday morning large group worship service, but they also had their small group fellowship. And the relational part is in the small groups because you can't actually experience the life change that Jesus has for you in loving people and knowing people and growing without having that close relationship within a small group of people. Small groups make a big difference. And I see this pattern that happens with people who come through our church. They might be new, and then they've been here for a year, right? And then they come to people in our leadership, and they're like, they're like hey, man, um, we just got to go to a different church. It's like, okay, well, what's going on? Well, we just don't really feel connected, you know? Like, we've been here for, we've been here for nine months, and we just don't feel plugged in. Like, we don't know anybody. I'm like, dude, that sucks. I'm so sorry. Um, let me ask you something. Ha did you go through next steps? No? Oh, we have next steps today, by the way. Did you go through next steps? No? Okay. Are you on a serve team? No. Do you give? No. Are you in a small group? No. That's your fault. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Like, I felt really bad for you until you told me you're doing the exact opposite of what we're encouraging you to do. You're like, oh, man, I feel so alone. It's like, duh. <laughs> it makes sense because you're not in a small group. You're not plugged into what the church is doing. But I'm so excited about what's happening at Redemption Church now because small groups make a big difference. And we've really been taking strides heading in the right direction. I mean, just last, uh, last season of our small groups, alone, we had over half of our church in small groups. And all of the stories that came out of that were so beautiful. And I'm going to share some of those with you over the next two weeks. And um, there's just so many good things happening. There's some really cool things that are going to be happening this next semester. And here's one thing is 
I noticed over just a couple of years being here, talking to other churches, uh, reading books, through it all, that there are different ways that people connect and people learn. And for me personally, like just to give you an example, I think about Miss Laura. She is uh, a good couple years older than me. She has the white hairs and the wisdom. And so she's much older than me in a different life stage. And I loved her being in my small group. I loved her being in my small group because it just totally challenged me. I, I got to know her and I got to experience what she was going through and the thoughts that she was having at that life stage. And it really changed the way that I do my life right now because I got to hear that. And so I personally love that. I, wanna, I want all the different life stages and ages and, and guys and girls. I want them all together, me personally. But I know that a lot of people just connect differently, right? I know a lot of people just really want someone to rub shoulders with that are in the same life stage as they are, going through the same issues that they're going through. And so with that being said, I'm announcing that we are going to not only do our everyone's invited small groups that we always do, where anyone can come, but we're also going to have a couple of different groups that are based off of life, uh, age and life stage. So we're going to have like a young married couples group. We might have two of them. And then so if you're, if you're newly married, you guys can be like working that out together. If you, um, we'll have like an 18 to 25 men's group, and that'll be led by uh, someone who's probably a little bit older, like 25 to 30. And we want to do these things because we understand that, like, maybe you don't feel comfortable sharing and being vulnerable with people of the opposite sex or people that you feel like you don't have anything in common with. Like, that's fine. I totally understand that. And so what we want to do is we want to create a space for you. We want to create a space for you. And I I just want you to know that we're going to use small groups to create culture inside of you and that we want you to get healthier. And whenever you get healthier, our church gets healthier. And then it gets more attractive to other people because they're seeing people really experience life change through Jesus. But we need people who are committed to being in small groups. In small groups, you're going to learn how to be a disciple. You're going to learn how to read and study God's word. You're going to learn how to serve and give and show hospitality. You're going to learn how to pray and evangelize and, and like I said, how to be a disciple. You're you're really going to learn how to truly live in community the way that God intended it so that you can be seen, known, and heard. You can experience what it feels like to be vulnerable, what it feels like to be accountable and have healthy conflict. That's a big one. That'll help out a lot of people with friendships and marriages. You, you can experience those things in small group. And in all of that, you will learn how to be loved. Some of you just need to know how to be loved. But it takes being around people for you to figure that out. And then also how to love other people well. You were created for community. But so often, we put other things in the place of our relational needs. Or we like to hide behind different activities or, or just isolation in itself. And I don't want us to be a church that does that. I don't want you to be a people that does that because isolation will be the death of us. And so we give you small groups because you were created for a community. And in conclusion, I'll say this, that we clearly see in the word of God that we were created for community. We see it there. We see that there's community in our creator. We see that there's a need for community within the creation. And then we also see that there's community in the church, that God has given us an answer to meet that relational need. Being deeply involved 
in a community of people with full intentions to pursue after Jesus together. And I'll say this again. Being at Redemption Church has given me the experience with people that I never asked for. But I didn't know I needed it. And so I want you guys to have the same story that I have with our small groups. And I didn't even have to Google that one because I lived that one out. (laughs) This is why we take small groups so seriously at Redemption Church. And I want to encourage you that over this month that you would begin to position your heart in such a way to where you can understand that you were created for community and that you should do something about it and that we want to help you in that. 